Well, hello and welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Nick. And I'm Garland. And uh, hey, we are continuing our study of all things end times and the book of Revelation. And today we are asking the question, who is the Antichrist? Who is the Antichrist? What is the Antichrist? What's going on? Why is the Antichrist? You know, what, what is that? What is that thing called the Antichrist in the Bible? Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a question that anytime we talk about end times, or especially in uh, like supercharged political climates with lots of tension, I uh, love that those two go together. In terms of <laughs> end times or supercharged, supercharged political, political climates, uh, people I think frequently uh, make. Uh, one-to-one associations with different leaders and call that person the Antichrist. We've obviously seen that uh, over the years. Um, And so I think that's obviously (laughs) off. You know, one thing I appreciate about social media is it seems like the chain email has died. Because the last several elections, I got an email that says, if you agree that so-and-so is the Antichrist, forward this to 10 other people. Yes. I haven't gotten that this cycle. The worst I ever got on that was, and we're going to look at this passage in a minute, um, before the 08 election, Mm -hmm. I got an email, and the subject line in the email was, uh, beware of the abomination of desolation. Oh, no. And uh, we're essentially trying to, to draw the idea that Obama was this Antichrist. Oh, yeah. So I, I think I got the same email. Yes. So we, we want to uh, we want to not do that because um, that can get that can be really damaging actually and uh, a really horrible thing to say about any human. Yes. I mean that would be really really damaging uh, and destructive. So we don't want to do that. Uh, what we want to do is try to understand what is this figure or who is this figure and how do we make sense of it? And we're responding to questions that y'all had sent in to uh, the OOC website, and so. Uh, what we want to do is take a look at it. Now, the first thing we've got to see is uh, this word, this Antichrist word, it only appears in one particular author in the Bible. It's not in Revelation. It's not in our prophetic book of the New Testament. It is going to be in First John. So if you wouldn't mind, Nick, uh, read for us First John chapter 2, verse 18. And this is going to be where we see this uh, word antichrist used in the Bible. All right. So this is first John two eighteen, reading out of the NIV. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Now look at verse 22. Verse 22. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now, chapter 4, verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Okay, so what would you conclude from John's use of the word Antichrist? Well, I mean, so the the at a straightforward, like it, it seems like the word makes kind of, it, it defines itself Antichrist. Uh, anything that is against Christ mm-hmm. uh, is, is Antichrist. And I, I see both, I, I see language in here that both talks about what's already happening with regard to this idea of being antichrist, but there also is this idea of someone or something is coming. Mm-hmm. It seems it seems relatively easy to understand how John uses this word, and he's the only one that uses this word. Mm-hmm. Those humans who stand opposed to uh, the gospel going out, the message. 
Jesus are antichrists. And it seems to say that there's a spirit behind this uh, this this idea. There's some yeah. kind of spiritual element of it as well. That's it. Should we close it down? Thank you for listening. Yeah, is that, is that it? Um, so for the first, the reason we even start there is I think that helps us to see, uh, I think we, we sometimes bring a lot of baggage to this word, right? a lot of uh, preconceived notions to this word. And uh, right off the bat, that's going to change a little bit of what we're thinking here. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that helps my mind take some of the, uh, some of the, extreme nature out of this. And now let's look. I think what we talk when we talk about antichrist, what we normally mean is a a figure, a particular figure, and normally where we get this figure, where we where we get the understanding of this figure is going to come from some key passages in our Bible. So let's look at this figure and try to f- fill out the 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 picture that's going to emerge for us. So let's look at uh, Daniel. The prophet Daniel is going to be writing in the 500s BC, uh, many scholars think, some say it's later, but uh, Daniel is writing and he's writing about kingdoms and nations in the world. And he's trying to give a heavenly perspective, God's perspective on those earthly kingdoms. We see those visions in chapter two and in chapter seven. Uh, but then in Daniel chapter nine, he's going to be reflecting on the restoration of the kingdom of Israel uh, in Jerusalem. And if you wouldn't mind, start, uh, we're going to read in Daniel chapter nine, and we've gone here in several other podcasts. It's a really interesting uh, uh, passage in our Bible. But in Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to do a little bit of work here, uh, Daniel is reflecting on Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had said that Israel's exile would last 70 years. And here Daniel sits in that exile, seemingly toward the end of that 70-year period. And I think Daniel recognizes, okay, this exile is about to be over. We're, we've been exiled from our homeland. We're here in Babylon. And Jeremiah said it's going to be 70 years. We're getting close to 70 years. It's about to be time to go home. So Daniel begins to pray on behalf of the people of Israel. And in his prayer, an angel shows up which uh, doesn't happen in my prayers no. uh, ever. Uh, does it has an angel showed up in my prayer. It'd be kind of cool though. And the angel gives him a message. And here is the message. And uh, we'll, we'll pick it up in chapter nine, verse 24. If you wouldn't mind reading verse 24. You bet. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Okay, so first of all, what's going on here? Uh, Daniel thinks, okay, 70 years are almost over. The exile is about to be done. We're going home. And then the angel shows up and says, actually, the exile is going to be a little bit different than you're expecting. It's not 70 years and it's over. It's going to be 70 times 7 years. And so we're getting some kind of bigger exile picture in mind. I can imagine Daniel hearing this is disappointed. Yeah, that's a little bit of a doubt. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a doubt. But look at the amazing thing that the angel is saying. It's going to be a different exile than you're expecting, longer, but all this amazing stuff is coming at the end of this exile. I mean, look at the list there. Uh, putting it into sin, bringing in everlasting righteousness, finishing transgression, anointing the most holy place. Those are all really good things. So it's not a, a total downer. And then we're going to get some uh, some time markers about what's going to take place. So in essence, what I hear you saying is the the Amount of time is lengthened, but so is the bigness of the restoration. It's going to be it's even not just move back to the land. Yeah, yeah. It's taking care so of all the longer problems. time, but better restoration. Yeah, we might say it that way. And Daniel says there's going to be sixty nine 
of these seven-year periods. So a lot of this exile is going to come. And then he's going to tell us that there's going to be one who will show up and do some bad things, do some bad stuff. So notice, pick it up in verse 25. Verse 25. No one understand this from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So that's how we get our 69 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes a desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, even hearing you read that, my my mind got really confused. I was yes. like, okay, what's going on here? It's hard to sort out. I heard so, the word abomination, though. There's, there's your abomination uh, idea. So at the end of the 69 times 7 year uh, unit, we might say, we're going to see Messiah. That's what the anointed one means. Messiah's coming. Okay. So, hey, Daniel, the Messiah who brings the kingdom is on his way. But the way that Messiah is going to, going to bring his kingdom, the, what's going to happen is going to be not what you're expecting. He's going to be cut off, or as the NIV translated, he'll be, he'll be killed. And that's not what Daniel's expecting. So we're going to have an anointed Messiah who will be killed. And then some figure, he's called here, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And this ruler who will come will he'll make a covenant for one of these seven-year periods. And in the middle of that covenant, or in the middle of that seven-year period, he will uh, declare himself God, go into the temple, do abominations in the temple, set up false uh, uh, idol worship in the temple, really bad stuff. Messiah's coming, and so is this other figure that's going to do some really, really bad stuff. Got the picture? Got it. That's Daniel 9. So when we start to figure out how do we interpret what this is, uh, the who this figure is, the, the Jews before Jesus' day almost certainly had in mind the fulfillment of this uh, prophecy being, we talked about this in our uh, podcast on the Hanukkah holiday, right. being a particular uh, Greek ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes IV. They certainly understood this to be that particular figure. So who would be the fulfillment of this abomination of desolation? Well, to the Jews before Jesus' day, it's this Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Jesus, however, will pick up on this idea. Go ahead. Why, why would they identify Antiochus Epiphanes with this this figure. So Antiochus Epiphanes was a Greek um, king, and he hated the Jews. And one of the things he did was he established idol worship in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, he uh, he forced Jews to sacrifice pigs on the altar that for them was an unclean animal. He committed gross abominations. So very literally, yeah, very literally, he read. did ab- abominations in the temple. Okay. And so a lot of the people uh, in the in the century preceding Jesus saw that as the fulfillment of this particular passage. And we have first century writings where they are identifying. Yes. Yes, absolutely. With yeah. this figure. This is what Daniel's talking about. Got it. Okay. Jesus though is going to, going to broaden the category. It, Jesus is going to, it's not that Jesus says that wasn't bad, but Jesus is going to say something else is coming and we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 24. This is the, uh, the Olivet discourse. We call it Jesus teaching, uh, on the Mount of Olives. And this is, uh, in his passion week. 
And do you want to set the structure up of yeah. the Olivet Discourse? What's going on here? Sure. So there's a lot of discussion around the Olivet Discourse and, and what is going on. But what we know is they're on the Mount of Olives. And if, if you're in Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives is this really incredible view where you are sitting on a hill just outside Jerusalem where you can kind of see the whole city. And so chances are they're, they're sitting, whenever I picture this, a lot of times I picture like when you come over the hill going into Fayetteville and you can see old Maine out in front of you, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. you kind of have yeah. the vista in front of you. That's kind of what sitting on the Mount of Olives looking at Jerusalem looks like. And so they have, and right below it is the temple. So it's this stunning sight. And so they're, they're sitting there and they're all marveling at how beautiful the temple is. And, uh, and they, they look at them and say, oh, they're, they're all impressed by it. And Jesus says to them, do you see these things? I tell you, not one stone will be left on one another. Everyone will be thrown down. And so his disciples are puzzled by this. They're, they're all impressed with their national side of the temple. Jesus said, it's all going to get destroyed. And they ask him this question, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Mm -hmm. So they have one immediate event they're asking Jesus of. Jesus has just prophesied the destruction of the temple. And so they're asking, well, when is the temple going to be destroyed? Right. And then there's a second question that it goes into what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And so that's one of the things that makes this passage a little confusing for many is when are, are there two events talked of here is one of them, the destruction of the temple, which we know happened in AD 70. Mm -hmm. And is there a second event being talking to talk about spoken about a second coming of Christ? Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's a little bit of kind of what's going on. Some in of the this background. Chapter. Yeah. So in this uh, it's in Matthew 24. And it's in Mark 13, and it's in Luke, what is it, Luke 21? That sounds right. Luke 21, somewhere in there. Uh, so in Matthew chapter 24, what Jesus does, and we can see it right here in verse uh, 15, he says, there's going to be this great uh, trial that's going to come into on the people of Jerusalem. They're going to be persecuted and hated, and uh, wickedness is going to increase. And then he says, when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation. Same phrase from Daniel exact 9. same phrase from Daniel 9. Spoken of, and he even says, yep. spoken of through the prophet Daniel. said, hey, understand this. Let the reader understand. Then when this figure comes, then it's time to run, essentially. When the person comes to destroy the city, it's time to run. And we, we don't have time to go through all of the unpacking of the uh, Olivet Discourse, but the near, the near answer to that is, the destruction of the temple by right. Titus, the general of the Roman army in 70 AD. Which makes most sense of the fleet of the mountains. Yeah. If um, you're injured, it, there wouldn't run. be a sense for the people of God to flee to the mountains when Jesus is returning. Right. Um, so it this, would make sense this, here. This, the natural near fulfillment of this is this figure who's come, uh, Titus the general, and he has conquered Jerusalem and burned it to the ground. And when he did that, uh, he there was a amazing amount of uh, atrocities done to the temple. Uh, they, they did the same kind of thing that Antiochus Epiphanes IV had done. So who is the Antichrist? Well, it depends on where by when you ask the question. It depends on exactly where we are, are at in our in our timetable. So now uh, let's look at Paul um, in a okay. very strange uh, passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so Paul will be simmering in all of this uh, thinking. There's those that are opposed to the things of God. There is, there are those who will come and proclaim themselves as, as worthy of worship, those who establish themselves as God. And those things are, are 
anti-Christ. They're against the things of Jesus and his message of, of his kingdom going out. And so simmering on all of that, Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, just read for us 1 through 4. Okay. 2 Thess 2, 1 to 4. This is from the NIV. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. The categories, that should be pretty clear at this point. I mean, that um, is like the most when I think of my traditional expectation of Antichrist, something like this. That's it. Yeah. That, that's... But what reason we've done spent the first 15 minutes on this is Paul is just simmering on a category that they've already been talking about, that the Jewish people are very familiar with. And so it's not as if Paul is inventing a new figure here and throwing him onto the stage and we're trying to we're trying to figure out what is this new Antichrist thing. Right. He's saying this is this kind of thing that has started with Babylon and we've seen it with Antiochus Epiphanes. We've seen it with, we're going to see it with Rome, uh, exalting itself, uh, declaring itself to be worthy of worship. And so Paul seems to say there is a coming figure who will embody all of that to the utmost, we might say. Yep. A coming figure before Jesus returns, before the day of the Lord that is coming, that will embody it perfectly. And so uh, when we think Antichrist, I think oftentimes that's what we think of sure. only. This future left behind book, this figure who's going to show up, who uh, is going to do these particular things. And I think Paul's giving us that category, but it's the, the biblical picture seems to be something much more robust than just a figure in the end, but this spirit that is at work opposing the things of God embodied in the elevation of human empire and power and the exaltation of humans over other humans. And mm -hmm. so when we see that happening, that's the spirit of Antichrist at work in our world. And that's, it's just a much larger vision, I think, than one dude who's going to show up in the end. And so, and this is a pattern we see a lot in eschatology. It seems like there is a, a pattern that plays out repeatedly over history and then has one really big mm -hmm. ultimate example. Yes, oh, absolutely. And so when we take all of that and then read Revelation, which yep. is, uh, we're, in, we're doing, a, this is kind of a Revelation series, what we got to see are just some really simple things. First of all, the word Antichrist is not in Revelation. Okay. Second of all, Revelation tells the story of human beastly power versus lamb power, Jesus-shaped, cross-shaped power. I love that phrase, lamb power. Like that, lamb power. And so that's what Revelation is giving us. It's a contrast. And so and the, the, the reader is forced then in that contrast to choose sides. Okay. How are you going to, to view power? Are you going to go with Jesus-shaped lamb power or are you going to go with uh, empire power, world power. And so when we read Revelation, there's going to be all these symbols of beasts and dragons and a prostitute riding a beast. And these things are symbolically giving us this picture of world power. And yes, it seems that that particular kind of power is a type that we're seeing all over our Bible of this spirit or power of anti-Christ. Now, it depends on the lens that we look at Revelation through. If we are bottom left, so future code, then we're going to look for those beasts to have correspondence with an individual figure who will arise. And Paul seems to be giving us some kind of category for that. Yeah. If we are uh, 
top left, so preterist view, then what we're going to be looking at are these are only figures that came in the first century. And we might need to be uh, just a little more nuanced and say what Rome did, what Titus did in, in Jerusalem is a form of this abomination of desolation. What Antiochus Epiphanes did is a form of this abomination of desolation. This beast that will come is a form of this abomination of, of desolation. And as we think about that Antichrist concept, it's just a much more broad, I think, picture for us. Well, that's really helpful. And uh, yeah, I think it brings some great clarity to the question. So, uh, hey, thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discussed who is the Antichrist. We encourage you to look into this more Curiosity episode 51, 52, 53, and 54. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to OOCuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at OOCuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.